In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. And welcome into a brand new edition of Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM. Loaded into your TGI Friday lineup, you can find three-hour block of sports talk locally produced here in the Triad every single Friday. Brought to you by the good folks at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here with you every Friday, giving you the latest on your performance, your Panthers, your high school football, your, your NASCAR, your even WWE. We get in a little bit of everything here at Franchise Players. So happy to have you on board with us here. Again, you can catch us on WWBG, 1470 AM out in Guilford County at 5 p.m. on Friday afternoons. And you can catch the replay on WTOB, 980 AM, 96.7 FM at 6 p.m. out in Forsyth County in the Winston-Salem area. Loaded show today. We've got Connor O'Neill from um, uh, Devils Illustrated and Deacons Illustrated. He covers Wake Forest and Duke uh, Athletics. He'll be on with R.L. Bynum, who covers for the Tar Heel Tribune. Two huge football games in the ACC uh, this weekend, Carolina taking on Virginia, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, rivalry in the ACC. Uh, huge game for Carolina. And then, of course, the big one uh, Saturday night, top-ranked, well, fourth-ranked Florida State taking on a surprisingly feisty 17th-ranked Duke team with one loss right now. So uh, it's weird to have Carolina and Duke in October, and we're talking football <laughs> still instead of shifting our mind to basketball. So we'll get into that as well. And, of course, Mark Pruitt will stop by his weekly stop, uh, beat writer for uh, Prep Sports for the Winston-Salem Journal. Since a lot of teams played Thursday night, uh, we'll actually do a review of some of the games that happened, including two big games from last night that will affect what's going to happen next Friday in the season finale, the regular season finale for a lot of these teams. Up to bat first, however, though, he is the voice of the Hornets Radio Network. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Mr. Sam Farber in for his first appearance this uh, 2023-24 Charlotte Hornets season. What's going on, Sam? What's happening, Desmond? Excited to be talking hoops with you again. Man, it's been a a, a, a crazy offseason, um, so we'll just kind of jump into it. Uh, I've got questions. There's <laughs> <laughs> random questions that have to do with the Hornets because I feel like they kind of got hindered for doing things in the offseason based on the, the Miles Bridges situation, it kind of froze the franchise in terms of they didn't know what was going to happen. That didn't really get resolved until near the end of the offseason. And then uh, this happens with 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 uh, Miles regarding whatever's going on last week, um, a violation of the protective order against his ex-girlfriend. Uh, it's like a he said, she said type of thing or whatever. My confusion is Miles was at practice uh, the next day uh, after you know turning himself in, all the legalities and all that stuff. It almost feels like from the fans looking in that whatever charges were just recently brought out to the public, it almost feels like the Hornets already knew about them and they're acting as such as opposed to being surprised and they're waiting for info to come in. They're letting them play until then. It almost feels like the Hornets did their due diligence and already knew about this incident. It just hadn't been released to the public. And that's why Miles is still with the team because they they already kind of know what's going to be happening here. Is there any sense of that or is it kind of a sense from the media down there that you guys don't know exactly what the end game is with miles too. Like it just feels weird. I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I'm very confident people far higher up and more important than me have, you know, whatever knowledge they need to of the situation and are making decisions accordingly. I know, you know, I I'm kind of shielded off from that aspect to, of it. So, you know, outside of being able to confirm that, yes, he has been practicing with the team and no, he's not eligible to play right now. That's a carryover from the suspension. I, I really don't have an answer for you. I think you're you're right to say that uh, the the team was left in a bind by the the absence last year. It certainly had an effect on the season. And um, but it, you know as to what's going to happen moving forward and what the timeline is, I, I honestly don't know anything and don't have anything to share. Yeah, I mean he is still suspended. He was uh, suspended by the league for 30 games. They counted 20 from last season onto it, so he uh, has to sit the first 10 games this year. Uh, so we'll kind of keep an eye on the Miles Bridges thing because that temperament goes back and forth with the public in terms of what morsels of info drip out. So it's kind of hard to gauge how the public feels about it when they don't really know exactly what's going on. Some good news in the off season though. Early on in the off season, back in July, 
Uh, star point guard LaMelo Ball and the Hornets finalized a five-year contract extension. Five years, $260 million extension from the Hornets, by far the largest contract ever given to a Charlotte Hornets player. Uh, talk to me a little about LaMelo, because it feels like the only thing that's really held LaMelo back in his first three seasons has been injury. Uh, it feels like this is a huge stamp of approval from the Hornets brass. Uh, this happened, did this happen after the sale or before the sale? The I believe the contract was first. The contract yeah, came yeah. first. I mean, it was going to happen either way. I think, yeah, but, well, it almost. I don't think it was a big. Yeah, it was yeah. like a huge debate. Like, uh, let's give him this deal before you know. I, everyone loves Labello, <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, so, do, how do you feel uh, in terms of the deal um, and Lamelo? The growth because you came in literally right when Lamelo got here, so you've been able to see Ball kind of go from you know young rookie to. Uh, all-star, um, you know, a rookie of the year winner in 2020, 2021. Um, but you've also seen him kind of struggle with injuries or whatnot. Tell me what you've seen in this preseason from LaMelo uh, to give you a vibe that he's kind of ready to grow into that leadership role that the Hornets desperately need. Well, I go even further back with LaMelo. I covered him in high school as a 14-year-old oh, right. yeah, at Chino yeah. Hills with his brothers, a team he still affectionately says, I don't know if it's entirely tongue-in-cheek. I think he's a true believer in it, that that might have been the best team he'll ever be a part of playing with his brothers. <laughs> They never lost, so he's got a, he's got a solid argument there. Um, but in in all seriousness, what we've seen so far from Lamelo is the best version of Lamelo Ball to date. He had the All Star season in year two, the one of the youngest All Stars in NBA history. And then even though it was an injury plagued season that you know he really had to you know be grinding his way through, his stat lines were better last season than the All Star season. And this preseason, we're seeing an even better version of LaMelo Ball. He's finishing through traffic, finishing near the rim, finishing through contact better than he ever has before. The shot and the confidence in it is still very much there. I think he's poised to have his best season yet. And most importantly, he is impacting winning. The last preseason game notwithstanding, and, and listen, no one's expecting any team in the NBA to go 82-0. and 0, So uh, the Chino Hills perfect record is safe. In all likelihood, I'm willing to gamble on that. No gambling allowed, but I, you know, that seems like a safe uh, statement to make. But, you know, every team's going to have ups and downs, but to see in three out of four games, LaMelo Ball's minutes on the floor, not just be a positive in the plus minus, but it's basically a plus one for every minute he's on the floor. That is to say, every minute LaMelo Ball had been playing in the first three preseason games, Charlotte was gaining a point on the opposition or creating an extra point worth of separation from the opposition. That's almost unheard of. That's that, that's a true tangible thing that you can point to and say, yeah, he's not just a shot maker. He's not just a stats guy. He's not just a highlight film. He can impact winning and he's doing it better than he ever has before in his young and bright career. Hornets Radio Network, voice of the Hornets, Sam Farber with us. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. The Hornets set to start the 2023-24 regular season against the Atlanta Hawks. You can hear that in the triad on WWBG 1470 AM this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, let's talk about the rookie, Brandon Miller. This team, um, it's really rare. And I was going back, I was trying to think of the last team that had this, maybe Oklahoma City, uh, where you've got two guys there were top three in their draft class within like a three-year period. You know what I mean? And you've got that with LaMelo and now Brandon Miller. Uh, the Miles Bridges situation, at, For I guess I kind of forgot that Gordon Hayward was here because he's been injured so often. There's kind of a glut at small forward. Do you Have they played Brandon at uh, shooting guard? Because I assume that when they drafted him, it was the, the idea of pairing him with LaMelo in the backcourt down the road, although he naturally plays small forward. But he's got that size, and it, that was the tantalizing bit to me to get Miller over Scoot Henderson was to put 6'9 LaMelo Ball in the backcourt with 6'9 Brandon Miller and let them grow together because they're basically around the same age. Is he playing any uh, shooting guard at all, or is it almost like a positionless type of offense that you're seeing here? That's where I was going to go. I think in positionless basketball, there's less of an emphasis on, well, so-and-so is the, the two guard on the board and this person's the four. There are certain attributes that, you know, a certain amount of size, it's advantageous to have. And quite frankly, he does have it. You know, at six foot nine, obviously he's, you know, what, 19, 20 years old, 20 years old. So uh, he's still going to grow. He's still going to grow into his body and his frame. He'll become more difficult to, uh, you know, work around for uh, opposing players as he, you know, continues to develop. But I, I think we can envision a future where, 
Brandon Miller can play two through four easily and maybe even one through five. I mean, who? I don't want to put a ceiling on this kid. He's just got so much size and natural gifts and ability. And, and the natural size, I think, is something that is, has really not been talked about enough. I, I, you know, I have all the love and respect in the world for the player you mentioned, Scoot Henderson. He's a great talent, but his size is what it is. And so he's not going to be guarding power forwards routinely in the NBA Whereas for Brandon Miller, that that's an opportunity. Does that mean that, you know, one is so much better than the other? Not necessarily. I have my own opinion. I'm sure a lot of folks out there do as well. Um, but I think Brandon Miller, all of the different attributes he brings to the table here and his versatility as a player makes him very attractive long-term and short-term. Look, this team, it's, it's not like a normal squad that was drafting in the top three. Charlotte was drafting there because – Basically, looking at the core players, everyone across the board, Charlotte missed about 300 games yeah. of playing time last season. Uh, that's LaMelo being out. That's Gordon being out. That's, I mean, Cody Martin played in, I think, nine games. Like, these are significant absences, and that's why Charlotte finished with the record they did. It wasn't that the roster went from above 500 to bottom of the league. It's that the roster that was above 500 was not available for 300 plus games collectively. So Brandon Miller isn't so much coming into a situation where there's no one competing with him for starts, playing time, shots. He's going into a situation where there's a lot of competition for that. And so his role becomes supporting those guys and learning on the job now rather than, all right, we're going to lose 55 games this year. So here's the ball and go learn on the job in that respect. The, um, I'm trying to figure out because it's such a young team and they have been drafting high over the past, you know, three, four, five years. So you've got a collection of talent that you've been drafting a lot of first round picks uh, when you can lose a kid like a like a Kai Jones, who the team released uh, last week, who was a former first round pick. I think in that draft, they had like three uh, first round picks that that year. Uh, and then this year, again, bringing in a large haul of young talent. Who's a guy outside of Brandon Miller? in this draft cap class that's caught your eye that you think might spend more time in Charlotte than say in Greensboro with the swarm this year, just due to just overall talent and uh, ability. Well, for that answer specifically, I would go to Nick Smith jr. But I'll preface my answer by saying, I really love this draft class. If you could have said even a year prior to the draft, these are the four guys you're going to get sign me up. I would say, great. I don't know how we managed to get, four of the top 20 picks, but that's fantastic. I'm yeah, glad we did. Uh, you know, Brandon Miller, um, you know, kind of surged up draft boards, was the best player in college basketball. He's spectacular. Nick Smith Jr. was actually higher rated. He was, I think, high school player of the year um, prior to going to Arkansas. Obviously had some injuries there that set him back, but an incredible talent. Amari Bailey was the California State Player of the Year, I think as a junior. He played on the same team as Bronny James and Zaire Williams, who's now in the league, and several other NBA talents, and he was the best player on the team. He's an incredible talent, and James Najee is this man-child playing over in Barcelona right now who's got all of the natural gifts and abilities in the world. I think he can be outstanding as well. So I think this is a great draft hall, but in terms of, you know, providing some support, be it in stats, minutes, whatever it is for this upcoming season. I think Nick Smith Jr. is probably the one who at least appears to be the closest. He's had the most explosive games outside of Brandon Miller from a stats perspective over the course of the preseason. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's a talent. He knows how to score. I don't know how many minutes will be available to him at those spots. Knock on wood, there's not a lot. You know, we missed 300 games last year. I prefer it to be like three yeah, this season. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hope he has to really earn going through Terry Rozier and uh, those kinds of guys. But it's the reality of the modern NBA and modern sports. Guys get injured, opportunities are going to arise. I think Nick Smith Jr. is in a decent spot to try and capitalize on them. And we'll have uh, – I was doing a series last year with the Greensboro Swarm. It was called Get to Know the Swarm, where basically I'd go over to the, uh, the Swarm Fieldhouse every week and sit down with a player, and we would basically just uh, ask them random questions that had nothing to do with basketball, just in an attempt to kind of get the players – get to know them better. The players seemed to really enjoy it. We'd talk about music. We'd talk about their favorite cartoons growing up, you know, just rant favorite cereals, like things like that. And, uh, of course, with the turnover – each year with the Swarm roster, it's probably a whole new <laughs> group of uh, kids down in Greensboro. So we'll probably start that back up again, uh, especially as we get into the season and uh, as football here starts to wind down. Sam uh, Sam Farber here with us from the Hornets Radio Network. Who's the starting five? Because I'm sitting here trying to figure out who is going to be the starting five on opening night. If you had to bet on it, 
if you had to go one through five, who would you say would be the most likely five to be on the floor for the opening tip versus the Hawks? I'd say LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, and Mark Williams. And, and I think that is a very strong mm-hmm starting group that's a lot of experienced guys the, the least amount of experience there is Lamelo, and he's the all-star on or sorry it'd be mark williams but after that it, it's Lamelo ball i think there's all kinds of talent and upside with that group almost all of them are right in the heart of their prime and yeah. i mean i think that's just it's a really good accomplished starting five i don't think the question for the horn so much is do they have enough talent to compete with the eastern conferences are they going to have the luxury of having them available for the number of games that they need to, to really show what they can do. If that, if that group of five players, if they all exceed 65 games played this season, I'm very confident the Hornets are going to be right back to where they were two years ago, above 500 competing for the postseason. And if there's injuries or absences, you know, then it, then it's a whole new ball game, but that group as it, as it stands is very, very skilled, talented and accomplished. And they, they won, like you said, 40, I think it went 43, 39 or something like that in 2020, yeah. 21. We were on the play-in game. They, they lost to those Hawks. Uh, in a it was the first time game. 43 wins was only good for 10th. It yeah. was, I mean, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about snake bit. Like last season missing 300 games worth of, you know, your core players, that's pretty tough. But it's also just as agonizing to win 43 games and have that be good only for 10th. It's kind of like the, the age-old question, would you rather lose by one on a buzzer beater or lose by 50? Yeah. Uh, losing by 50 was not a lot of fun. It wasn't a whole lot of fun finishing with 43 wins and seeing the team end up going on the road for the play-in tournament. There's, there's been years where 43 wins is like the fifth seat in the Eastern yeah. Conference. You know, like- I think the Athletics <laughs> just did their projection. I think they have that record at like six. Yeah, and, that, so- and that's reasonable. So <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> it, is, it is what it is. Um, real quick, just zooming out from Charlotte and looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference, uh, there's, you know, of course, movement, the biggest movement, Dame Lillard coming to Milwaukee to pair with Giannis. Uh, you know, Miami's always going to be a factor. Um, you got the Knicks, they're on the rise. You've got trying to think of who else who's uh in the in the east that could be a formidable opponent to the bucks who, who do you have in terms of like the top of the east because clearly the bucks are there who else do you have in that hierarchy and uh where do you place the hornets as we go into the season because i think we both agree if they're healthy through the season i think they're a top eight team in the eastern conference i think so too i, I think you know the clear top two are milwaukee and boston milwaukee adding dame lillard you know, that that maybe takes their game to a whole new level. They did have to give up Drew Holiday, who's a, a heck of a player. But uh, with all due respect to him, Dame Lillard is considered one of the all-time greats in the game. And so if it if it and comes Holiday, together – he's in Boston, so <laughs> – And if it comes together as it's supposed to, you know, that team, I think they become the favorites. Boston, I really like their team. They, they, they blew us out the other night, so they're very good. There's no question about it. I do have some questions as to what the impact's going to be defensively. Offensively, if they're on, they're borderline unstoppable. But defensively, it's some big changes here. You know, Smart was an elite defender. Obviously, Drew Holiday is as well, so there's not as much of a drop-off there. But Robert Williams and Kristaps Porzingis are very different centers. So how will that transpire over the course of the season and, more importantly, playoff series? That, I think, is a question that Boston's going to have to answer. But there's no question they're in the top two. And then after that, there's a lot of teams that either have a question mark due to some roster situations or a question mark based off of what we think they might do in the regular season. I think there's very much a possibility for Philadelphia and New York and um, Miami to be very, very good. There's also the potential for one injury to submarine their season. And Charlotte should be in a group of teams that if healthy can compete with those squads. So I think there is a, a top two upper crust in the Eastern conference and then I think there is, you know, a large group where, you know, you probably shade a couple of teams ahead of the Hornets if they're healthy. But if they're not, and the Hornets are, they're very much catchable. Man, that that Philly team, I for completely forgot the situation in Philly with James forgot Harden. Forgot the MVP, forgot Embiid. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, starting to feel like if they don't do this correctly, that we're going to see Embiid with another unit sometime, like, down the road. Because the NBA is well known to have their star players kind of dictate where they are and if he has enough of what's going on there with what they're doing with the roster i could easily see him demanding you know something down the road here while he's in his prime and the james harden situation i I, i've never been a huge fan of james harden's game i I never i'm old school so i grew up in like the jordan era so i when you talk about volume scores i think of that as opposed to 
when you see a James Harden type like that, and he's not even that anymore. And he, I think he's kind of acting as if he is. So it's it's crippled that franchise to a certain extent where this should be their window. <laughs> this should be their window to get to the finals. And I don't know if Harden's going to be able to be on that roster. I mean, he's already kind of threatening to to not be there uh, already. So the Eastern Conference has got a lot of different storylines going on. I feel like Charlotte can kind of sneak in through the back door and be a pretty formidable team with health. If they're healthy and this team, this young team takes that leap, I feel like they've got enough components there to, to really do something. And then Miles coming back, you know, in 10 games, I don't know if he would begin to start over Hayward in that scenario in that starting five or if he'd come off the bench. Of course, Brandon Miller's coming off the bench. Just a lot of talent on this Hornets team. And I'm curious to see what Steve Clifford's going to do with it going forward. But again, the Hornets take on the, uh, the Atlanta Hawks. 7 p.m. this Wednesday. It's the season premiere of uh, the 2023-24 season. You can catch Sam on the call there on the Hornets Radio Network. Appreciate having you on, man, and definitely we'll have you on throughout the season. And hopefully, hopefully the Hornets will give us something because my Panthers are trying to give me a stroke, I swear. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's happened, but having to do uh, content on the Panthers each, each week has been uh, very demanding, and <laughs> I'm hoping the Hornets give us a little bit of joy. I, I'm a big believer in Bryce Young. I think the future is bright over there uh, across Uptown, and I think equally the uh, Alabama product here inside Spectrum Center, Brandon Miller, has got a, a ton of upside. I'm excited. I'm excited for the season, excited to talk to all our great fans out there in the triangle, and, and I hope you'll make the journey. Come down and join us a couple of times this year. Hornets.com for all your tickets. Uh, we've got some really long homestands, great players and teams coming through Spectrum Center, and a very exciting young core to this current crop for the Charlotte Hornets. They're going to be very entertaining. You're going to want to be on the bandwagon early, so come join us here yes, at Hornets.com. Exactly. Don't, don't come in around uh, January, February talking about you've been here. No, we keep hey, seeing. You, like. you can come in, but just don't start asking for tickets then. They'll be gone. They'll They're be gone. gone. They're already you can gone. join the bandwagon. You just got to listen to us here on the Hornets Radio Network. Deal. There you go. That, that's the best way to do it. So, uh, Sam, appreciate having you on, man. Anytime, Desmond. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Tariel Tribune's R.L. Bynum and Devils Illustrated's Connor O'Neill will join me. We'll we'll preview Carolina versus Virginia and the huge one, Florida State versus Duke. Big, 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 big weekend in the ACC in football with national uh, ramifications for a change in Carolina and Duke football. We'll get to that in just a bit. You're listening to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM, your home for Triad Sports Talk here in the Piedmont Triad area, Greensboro High Point, Winston-Salem, and points beyond. Thanks to Tallahassee Road Sports Radio. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Shout out to Sam Farber, who just stopped by, gave us the Charlotte Hornets preview. Super excited to hear uh, about the Hornets, the youth they're going to have on that roster, and, of course, we're your home for Charlotte Hornets. All those broadcasts, those games on the Hornets Radio Network on WWBG 1470 AM starting this Wednesday, the season opener versus the Atlanta Hawks at 7 p.m. With me right now, Connor O'Neill from uh, Devils Illustrated and R.L. Bynum from the Tar Heel Tribune. Just joking off the camera that normally this is around the time of the year when I start pulling in the beat writers and we start uh, previewing hoops. Uh, the ACC Big Four, I'll grab a state rider and a wake rider and a Duke rider and we'll, we'll kind of preview the roster changes and what expectations and things of that sort. But uh, this year is a little different. Uh, Carolina and Duke's football teams actually doing big things. Carolina undefeated uh, deep in October 6-0 and uh, with a huge game uh, in the South's oldest rivalry. And, of course, Duke in an even bigger game against uh, the team that's ranked the highest in the ACC currently right now, Florida State. So I had to bring in these two gentlemen to give us uh, a preview, quick preview on these two games. I want to start off with this Carolina-Virginia matchup at 6.30 uh, p.m. Saturday. Uh, you can actually catch it on the CW network, uh, I guess part of that deal that they struck uh, with the ACC to be able to broadcast additional games. So you'll be able to catch that in prime time. Uh, CW, you can catch that over the air. So uh, if you have an antenna, you can catch that pretty much anywhere you are uh, in the state. Uh, it's the 128th meeting between uh, these two schools here. Uh, give me, RL, give me the significance of Tez Walker joining this roster because I watched them play last uh last saturday night and it felt like a boulder going downhill like after a certain point like that offense with drake may running it right now uh with amari hampton running the way he is right now and now you add tez walker that can take the top off the back of a defense how big is it to for them to finally won the situation 
and to actually get Walker in this season to be able to play with this offense and this quarterback. Oh, it's 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 huge. Obviously, Greg May is the reason that this team has a chance of having a special season. But the uh, the players he has around him now, particularly with Tez Walker, we haven't seen a receiver with breakaway speed like that since De'Ami Brown went to the NFL. I mean, one-on-one, he's going to beat just about anybody. And uh, great catching ability, speed. And that opens up uh, – opportunities for the other receivers and there's some pretty pretty good other other receivers like Nate McCollum the, the transfer from Georgia Tech but uh Amarian Hampton he his uh yards after contact is uh one of the best in the country and we haven't seen a player able to do that since Javante Williams went to Denver oh yeah and you can argue that he does better in that regard than Javante, which is saying a lot. I uh, actually did. Uh, did he? I think he might have been hurt, but his team made the uh, state championship in high school a couple years back, like right when he had declared. Um, was it Clinton? I can't, I can't remember where he came from, but uh, yeah, but I remember he was like the number one running back in the state when he signed. And that's one of the things I've noticed with both of these schools, uh, Mike Elko at Duke and, uh, and Mac Brown at Carolina, where they have kind of, kind of circle the rag the wagons around the state of North Carolina and they're doing a very good job of going after the top kids in high school football especially up here in the triad uh there's a lot of triad kids that are playing for Duke that are playing for North Carolina right now in key roles uh and and it just feels like they kind of understood we've let this talent go out to the SEC and all these other places all over uh in the past couple of years NC State's good about this too as as well as Wake where they're starting to pull these kids that are right here underneath their noses right here in the triad there's a lot of really good football players right here and they're starting to stay home and now uh it was year three if mac been back year four if mac been back you're starting to see the benefit of those classes getting stacked on top of each other those freshmen and sophomore that we saw that were five-star guys that just needed some some reps they've gotten those now and now it's starting to benefit uh you know carolina six and oh uh they're favored i believe by 23 or something to that effect last time i, I checked the the line here against virginia um i didn't realize that their offense is as potent as it is um, this season in particular, this Carolina team, they're averaging fi- over 500 yards of offense it, uh, per game. It's the second best in the, uh, in the ACC eighth in all of uh, college football. Uh, they've scored 30 or more points in each of their first six games and at least 40 in their past, but uh, four of their last five. Did you expect that? <laughs> Did you expect that kind of offensive explosion? Cause I know it was high expectations for Drake may coming into this season, but rarely do those expectations get met. And it feels like he's exceeded those with this offense. He really has. And then the offense is, is uh, more vertical now, basically because Hampton's uh, learning. He's running better. He's following his blocking a lot better. So, and then the other part is they don't have to outscore teams like they did in the past seasons because you know, defense has been a problem the last couple of years. So it's a problem now, but it's a problem for the opponents because they have so many weapons, and and uh, it just it makes it easier for for the offense when they know they don't have to score every time, but some games they almost do that. It's just weird. I mean, as coming from a Carolina fan, it, the whole situation is just weird to me that <laughs> this is happening. I almost feel like okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? That's kind of how Carolina fans have been preconditioned to th- to think. But this train looks like it's going to keep rolling. I was just looking at the football schedule past Virginia. Uh, they have a uh, Georgia Tech next week, uh, Campbell after that, and then the Duke-UNC uh, matchup uh, as we bring in Connor O'Neill. Um, Duke is another weird situation for me, being a Carolina fan. and looking over across the way, eight miles down, and you see Duke is sitting there at 5-1 and one and ranked 16th in the nation uh, this week, taking on this FSU squad. Uh, this game is going to be the national game on ABC, 7.30 p.m. Saturday night. Um can you give us an update on Riley Leonard, the quarterback for Duke, where clearly Duke is a, a different team with Leonard out there than not. I know he's, he's dealing with, I think it's a high ankle sprain and those aren't very easy to get rid of. I know he warmed up before the game last week, but just couldn't go. And coach Elko was kind of hinting that he might be able to go in this game. What's the latest that you've heard regarding his situation? And do you think he'll be able to suit up Saturday night? Yeah. Mike Elko said on his radio show earlier in the week that he's, he's been running around. He's been throwing at practice. Um, of course, that's 
get into a little bit of football semantics there where it he's not quite practicing like he's <laughs> he's not you know going through everything but he's doing more than he did last week and last week you know you say he warmed up he he got out there and played catch um we'll, we'll call that what it was he wasn't in pads throwing he was when it was time for the whole team to get out there and go through the actual like regimented warm up he was in a hoodie and backward hat or something like, that. like he wasn't, he wasn't actually warming up like he was going to go play. But when he was out there playing catch, he's, he moved well to me. Now I'm saying that from up in the press box, I, I'm, I'm not down on the field looking at him. I'm not, there's, you know, there's heat in there. There's snacks. There's yeah. You're comfortable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man, I, I'm, I, I'm so far removed from it. I'm not feeling his ankle, you know, I'm not, uh, not going in there with like a doctor, like trying to see what hurts. And (laughs) I I think he's better. I I think it, I think it really might be one of those, uh, you know, everybody says game time decisions and everybody is day to day. We're all day to day, you know, that old cliche, but I really do think he's day to day and they're going to get him down to Tallahassee. Like he's certainly going to travel and, you know, they'll they'll have to see how he responds and how he warms up and whether he can go. That sounds like they're gonna tape that thing up and, and send him on out there. Uh <laughs> for the way it sounds like it. That that sound the way you just described that, Connor, that sounds like we're probably gonna see Riley Leonard on uh on Saturday night, which is fine. I mean, I love the fact that we're getting big time games in the ACC late in October that have nothing to do with Clemson. Uh Clemson with the two losses, they're kind of on the outside looking in. They still can affect this entire ACC race. Uh, but clearly right now, the crown jewel of the ACC is the fourth-ranked Florida State Seminoles. They'll be hosting Duke. So this is at Dope Campbell uh, Saturday night. And uh, the Seminoles are looking to remain undefeated. They're in the driver's seat for the ACC and the college football playoff if they can get through the, re- the rest of their schedule. Um, State and Florida State and Duke have faced, twice, uh, faced off twice against each other as nationally-ranked foes back in 1994 and most recently in 2013, um, this uh, in 2013 FSU was ranked number one in the country, and Duke was number 20. Uh, I don't believe Duke has ever beaten uh, FSU, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and 21. So this would be hu- this would be a huge turn in the corner for Mike Elko and this Duke program. Uh, however, the Seminoles are in the middle of a 12 game winning streak. It's the third longest active one in the country, and they've scored 30 points in all 12 of those games. So on the on paper, it feels like a mismatch. Uh, but again, this Duke team, they, they took out Clemson earlier in the year, and a lot of people consider that to be a mismatch as well. So again, but they had Riley Leonard out there on the field. So a lot of moving parts going on with both of these games. Let me get both of you guys' opinion about FSU. Do you think they can be a legit college football playoff contender this or national title contender with the way college football is right now? Or are you still looking at like a team like a Georgia or I feel like Michigan hasn't played anybody. I actually feel like that way by Ohio State, too. Like I feel like they haven't really played anybody, but they're sitting there stuck at two and three. And then you've got this FSU team that's got some, you know, a good win at the beginning of the year against FSU, LSU. How do you how do you put Florida State in the national situation here? Where would you say likelihood of them not just getting to the playoff, but winning it? I think Florida State's as complete a team as any team in the country. Um, I, I see everything through an ACC prism, so – I'm um, a little handicapped there when it comes to that, but I just look at a Florida State team that has a savvy sixth-year quarterback that makes all the right decisions. Um, they had they had one alien of a receiver with Johnny Wilson last year, and they went out and decided they needed another one and added Keon Coleman from Michigan State. Uh, nice. Their running back Trey Benson had a little bit of a slow start in the to the season, and he's got about 275 yards in the last two games. And their defense just has athletes all over the field, as as you've kind of come to expect. Like even when Florida State was down, you could always count on them having some dudes on defense. It just feels like this team is loaded. It might not be loaded when you start comparing them to a Georgia or a Michigan, uh, but they they stack up against anybody else in the country. All right, what are your thoughts on the Seminoles? They they definitely are a contender, but I will will say this: uh, if, I think uh, if an undefeated Carolina team plays Florida State in the ACC championship game. Mm. That winner probably goes to the playoff. The loser doesn't. Yeah, and you know it's it's really hard to say on Carolina. I mean, they played some, a good team in Miami, but you just wonder how good the teams that they played are, and and it, you really don't know 
how they would match up against Florida State. I would I would bet Florida State right now, but you never know. That you know, and I'm looking I'm looking at their schedule. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, they beat South Carolina, open season, App State. Uh, and that double overtime shootout, Minnesota, Pitt, Syracuse, and then uh, Miami's the only un, uh, the only ranked team that they've come across on their schedule so far. Uh, they got Virginia; they're favored by over twenty points. Uh, Georgia Tech, I'd imagine, they're going to be they're at Georgia Tech, but they'll be favored in that as well, as well as Campbell. And then you get to that last three weeks of the season, Saturday, uh, the November eleventh, eighteenth, and twenty fifth, home versus Duke, and I would imagine Duke's still going to be feisty at that point at Clemson at NC State. If Carolina can make it out of that undefeated at that point they're 10th ranked right now at, at that point they might be already near the top five in the polls and then you're absolutely right that might set up florida state unc acc championship game where the, it's like almost an elimination game the winner moves on to the playoffs and the loser goes to the peach bowl or whatever so that that's interesting for a carolina fan to to sit here and listen to and then again with duke I, I was not expecting coming into this season to be talking about Duke six, seven weeks in and they're five and one and <laughs> in a game like this versus FSU, where it almost feels like if they had their quarterback, they would be getting a better shot here in terms of odds and the spread and everything else. But again, Duke kind of surprised. Well, Duke did surprise everyone with their early season win versus Clemson, which put them in this position to begin with. So um, give me some predictions guys. Uh, and I want you to predict the others game. So, Connor, I want you to predict the Carol. I mean, to predict the uh, Duke and FSU game, or excuse me, the other way around, the uh, Carolina Virginia game. And Arl, I want you to predict the FSU uh, Duke game. So, Connor, let's start off with you. Carolina Virginia, six thirty p.m. on the CW network uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I get why this could be remotely considered a trap game. I just don't see it. I think Virginia is one of the two worst teams in the ACC. Uh, the other one might also be in the Commonwealth. Or the other one might be in North Carolina, honestly. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just – I don't I don't see Carolina playing with its food. Like, that's one phrase that I've heard mentioned this week. Um, it, it seems like there's a different vibe, at least to me, from the outside. RL has a lot better handle on that. But it, it all seems like it shapes up for Carolina to – either repeat or avoid the pitfalls of last year where it's going to be right in that national conversation position really, really well. And what's going to happen in those last three weeks of the year, uh, they stumbled down the blocks last year and we'll see if that happens again, but I don't see that starting with this weekend. So you got Carolina and a runaway or yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy a lot. Um, uh, RL, uh, big one Saturday night, FSU number four ranked, uh, FSU taking on 16th ranked Duke, uh, in the national game on ABC. What do you think is going to happen in this one? Any surprises? Well, if, if, if Riley Leonard was fully healthy, I would anticipate that Duke would give them a game and possibly win it. But I think even if he plays, he, he, uh, is most dangerous because of his running ability and coming off of that injury. Even if he plays, I don't know how much of a weapon that's going to be. I don't, I don't, I just, I just don't know if they've got enough firepower, particularly if Riley Riley Leonard does not play. So I would think uh, Florida State would win, and if Riley Leonard doesn't play, probably win big. And uh, Leonard plays, maybe a little closer, but I, I don't see Duke pulling that out uh, at Tallahassee. Still got about a little under half the season to go, but especially with the way the ACC with no divisions this year is situated, it's the two best teams that will meet uh, in Charlotte for the ACC championship. And the best thing for the ACC as a league right now would probably be FSU Carolina uh, meeting in there undefeated, both ranked in the top five, uh, really kind of showing uh, that the ACC this year has been pretty good in football. Um, I mean, we always hear SEC every year and, I know the Pac-12 was had a bunch of teams ranked and still do uh, in the top 25, which is nuts because it's the last year of their existence and they may end up winning the national championship. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how all that plays out. I keep forgetting too. I guess starting next year, Stanford, SMU, Cal, they're going to be in the ACC. Um, I, I just, I don't, I can't, <laughs> I can't process Carolina Cal on a, a Saturday afternoon uh, you know, but like out there, it's like nine in the morning or something. They're playing, but they're <laughs> they're playing at like the one o'clock window here. It's just weird to me to to send our kids off uh that play volleyball or whatever off to California to play a league game. It's just 
I don't know if they're going to add more down the road or whatever, and we'll get into that conversation later on. But uh, appreciate you guys coming on to, to preview these games for Duke and uh, Carolina. It feels good to even have these games late October. So uh, Carolina fans, Duke fans, enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. Savor it because this doesn't happen all the time. And uh, I'm just happy it's going on right now. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks, take care. Guys. Coming up. What's the Salem Journal beat writer Mark Pruitt's going to come by and talk about, uh, you know, with the rain that's coming in on Friday, there was a lot of high school football that got played on Thursday. So normally he comes in and previews his top three high school football games of the week. Today, we're going to kind of review some of the games that happened on Thursday night and what they mean going forward for next Friday, including a setup for a huge, massive conference championship showdown in Clemens that we'll actually have here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio next Friday. Mark Pruitt coming up next. You're listening to Franchise Players. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. It is Friday, and you know we are the home for high school sports here in the triad. But some teams went early. Uh, some teams wanted to avoid the rain that's coming in later on tonight. And um, instead of usually in this section, we usually preview the top three games in the triad. We're going to get a chance to review some of the games that happened last night. Desmond Johnson here with you, franchise players on WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 980 AM. Joining me as he does each week during high school football season, Winston-Salem Journal beat writer Mark Pruitt in the house. High school football week 10. We are at the end of the regular season. I can't believe it. It feels like it was just August and 85 degrees outside, and we're all running around all across the triad covering the opening week's games, and we're already here at the end. And now the fun will begin uh, after next yeah. week, last regular season game. Playoffs will start. And, of course, we've got some uh, some teams up here that want to handle some business. Um, before we get to the games that are still getting played later on tonight, including a huge huge rivalry game in Greensboro, let's, uh, let's stay in the CPC for a little bit. And talk okay. about what we saw last night. We were both yeah. in Kernersville for the of the K Vegas Cup, uh, yep. East Forsyth and Glenn. East Forsyth victorious in that matchup, forty-two to twelve, I believe was the final. Uh, yep. And again, they turned the scoreboard off really quick. Uh, <laughs> the game was yeah. over. But uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw, man. Because um, we love running clocks, and even better on a Thursday night. Ooh, right? Man, we were praying for it, and uh, um, they, they made it happen. Um, I, I was. I, I, I thought we might get to that point maybe in the second half, um, but that late touchdown, East punched in right there before the end of the, the first, um, you know, set things in motion. Glenn is really young. Uh, yeah. I saw some signs. I thought their quarterback threw the ball pretty well. They just, as as Antoine Stevenson was co- telling me after the game, they're so young up front, uh, especially in the interior part of their offensive line. He said they're just kind of overmatched uh, from game to game. They haven't really had trouble moving the ball. Uh, this season, but once they get in the red zone, he said the red zone has been our nemesis all yeah. season long. Um, but uh, he 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 was happy his team. Basically, he said, "Hey, it was a twelve to nothing game after halftime." He said they didn't quit; they kept fighting. Uh, East looked really fluid in the first half. Bryce Baker made some great plays. I think four passing touchdowns, and then mm-hmm. he opened the scoring with his nine yard rush touchdown. He looked really good. Brandon Sutton, I guess, in whatever measure of revenge we want to call it, uh, against his former team. Yeah. Sutton transferred over from Glenn uh, last summer. Um, I want to say it was uh, 70 rush yards and 123 on, uh, the, on the ground. And that, yeah, got, that yeah. really nifty screen pass he turned upfield and scored on uh, that basically made it 42 to nothing. Had a great game uh, against his former team. And um, it sets up, I think, what we all kind of were hoping for earlier in the season, but then kind of Davie County looked like it messed it up when it beat East Forsyth. And then West loses to Reagan, Mount Tabor beats Davie and Todd Willard was smiling really happy a few weeks ago. And now (laughs) with, with Reynolds uh, handling its business last night against, uh, or excuse me, with West handling his business against Reynolds. uh, Here we are. Set up East versus West. Uh, I think clearly the two best teams in the league that I've seen. I thought Davy was in that mix, especially after they beat East. But they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit, I think, especially defensively. Um, and Parkland gave them all they could handle last night. It looked hey, that, like. that Parkland so, team is feisty. Um, yep. That's not the same old Parkland. They're going to – they just need some bodies. Um, they've got some players. I mean, they yeah. got – there's some skills guys. The quarterback, Riley Horton, I believe, is a junior. He's mm-hmm. had He's had a really solid year. 
and they've got a receiver who is the fastest kid in this area. And I think the state, he's a big track star. His dad, Antoine Hughes, uh, is the track coach there at Parkland. Um, but Antoine Jr. is really burning up uh, as a receiver for the Mustangs this year. So um, I say get to Clemens early next Friday night. I yeah. believe it's the TV game. Yes. Um, there will be a lot of people there. And I was talking to uh, Coach Willard last night afterwards. I said, does this remind you any of 2019 now? And, you know, with that game, he said, I don't remember that game. Who won that game? And I was like, <laughs> you know who won that game. So he was trying to play it off. But, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun for uh, the people of this area to see two really good teams, uh, two completely different styles of play, uh, offensively especially, um, going at it with kind of the winner uh, taking the conference championship, getting the number one CI league for the playoffs, which is huge because you're at home for a few weeks at least because uh, you'll get a higher seed. And um, I know we were discussing this before we started talking about the RPIs being updated today and um, kind of how that's going to play into all that. So um, East Forsyth, West Forsyth, not only will it be on TV on Mom 48, we will be in the house uh, as well as our WTOB high school football game of the week next week uh, for all the marbles. I've been joking with both uh, Kevin Wallace out in Clemens and Todd Willard and Kernersville during our coaches shows that, you know, this is a collision I've been hoping and yep. needling to happen all season long with both coaches. Like, you know what I want? I want this at the end of the year, and I want to broadcast <laughs> yeah. this out so we can get to the uh, the playoffs and everything else, and it looks like that's going to happen. Usually we're on the NFHS feed, too, when we're at West Forsyth, so if you want to watch it through the West Forsyth subscription, you should be able to do it there. We'll have that set up for you also. Um, I was looking at the RPI. Uh, lucky for us, as we're taping this, um, it looks like uh, they just updated the RPI uh at 12 22 p.m today so like literally 10 minutes ago and i'm sitting there looking at it on the west 4a weddington sitting at number one uh huff is at number two they have not played yet they're playing later on tonight um mm -hmm. taga's at number three at eight no grimsley's at number four eight no and we'll stop it right there because grimsley is one of your games to look at this week as they take on uh page and one of the oldest rivalries in the state um yep. give us an update on that and what's going on with uh this undefeated grimsley team Big rivalry game. I don't, and I, maybe it's lost a little of its shine the last couple of years because of Grimsley's dominance. Page is still uh, finding finding its feet a little bit under Doug Robertson. Um, Page, they started out pretty slow this season. Uh, I think they lost their first three or four games of the year. I think the strength of the Page team this year uh, looks to be that their defense. Um, I think their average, they're allowing about twenty one points per game. And they're having trouble scoring uh, offensively. Um, but in the conference, they've done a good job holding others in check. I think they held Northwest Guilford to 14 points in the win against them, or seven points, or no, 14, sorry, um, in losing that game. Um, I, I, Maurice Andrews is their featured player. The running back there does a really good job. And then it's just, and then with Grimsley, it's pick your poison. How do you want to try to stop? them they've got the pieces uh yeah, quarterback be. running back and the receivers <laughs> defense um so it'll be it'll be fun i hope they can beat the rain and see see kind of how that shakes out for grimsley and how that'll impact their rating going forward uh heading into next week's game for them um, yeah I, it's crazy because i know we i know the whole cpc moved their games to thursday and some of that was gamesmanship because uh yeah west moved theirs first and i think it was kind of like well we don't want to play in the rain if west didn't play in the rain and affect what'll happen next week so east moved theirs mm -hmm. and everybody moved after that um most of greensboro from what i see stayed on friday and yeah. I, was dudley, I think dudley played last night and dudley played won. last night um and dudley Dudley is Dudley. They're undefeated, yeah. I believe. They're going to be a problem in the 3A West. A high Definitely. seed, probably a two or three seed over there. Um, they haven't really been challenged all season. No. But next week that might change because they play at Eastern Guilford. Uh, That's always a good one. Yeah. So yeah. that should be a pretty good game. That will determine the, the conference championship there too. And um, hopefully somebody can give Dudley some stress before they get to the playoffs since they haven't really seen a whole lot of that. They're not. I won't say they're not battle-tested because they've been winning every game handily. Um, but at the same time, you know, some coaches like to have that that stressful situation to see how those kids respond in it. And um, 
but I, I think Dudley is definitely, like you said, going to be a problem in the they, NBA. They year. remind me of East for Scythe last year. Uh, yeah. yeah. East they didn't got the have guys. any troubles. Yeah, they were top-heavy with talent, a lot of five-star kids, and uh, they didn't really run any problems all year. We felt like we were on a run o'clock every week. And then uh, about three weeks into the playoffs, uh, it didn't help matters that they had to play two conference opponents the first two rounds last year, too. They played West yeah. back-to-back weeks the regular yeah, season finale in the first round yeah. and at that point west it just they were just kind of done <laughs> with everything and then they played mount Tabor right after that at home before yeah. they got to huff and but at yeah. that point that it was like they hadn't really got punched in the face like all year yeah. and, yeah, huff and that, did. <laughs> that, that, i think that, that in the playoffs the west west scored first and took a six nothing lead and then mm-hmm. east reeled off like 59 in a row and yeah. that and then the Tabor game, the Tabor team had a bunch of injuries, I think, going into that one. I remember talking to Coach Brown after that game. Uh, and East really had no problem getting past Tabor in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Huff game, you know, we won't talk about what happened there. No, but, we'll just leave um, that be. Um, but, but, yeah, um, there was – yeah, I think you're right. Dudley probably does have a lot of the same characteristics as East did last there, year. And there is will be the same as that East team where if there's going to be a team that knocks Dudley off, it's going to probably come from 704. There's a lot of – uh, teams down there, Kings Mountain, uh, Crest, Crest, West Charlotte, uh, will be West Charlotte, a, yeah, a handful. Um, uh, so I, I think we're gonna get some interesting matchups and probably early in the West 3A, which is unfortunate, but um, that's how it rolls. Any any other game tonight that you're looking at besides that Grimsley uh, page game, or is that the main one? That's the main Just one, uh, from what I've seen. Most everybody around Winston played last night. I think North Forsyth was a holdout. They're playing uh, McMichael, I believe, tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, one that intrigues me, I guess, is Bishop McGinnis and Winston-Salem Prep. Uh, mm-hmm. I, just because of what Mark Holcomb's been doing at Bishop McGinnis in his first season there. I mean, he's a proven winner. Um, had a great run at North Davidson. And then started the program at Oak Grove and built up a really solid team there. And Oak Grove is doing very well in 3A this season. Um, and I think most of those guys played last night too. But I think it's senior night at Bishop McGinnis, and uh, they were in, they were holding out, hoping that they could beat the rain tonight too. But uh, I just I'm interested to see how Holcomb kind of finishes out this year with Bishop. It looks like they're going to make the 1A playoffs, um, so that'll be fun to watch. Fun to watch his progress. So we will have uh, the WCOG game of the week is Grimsley versus Page, and that is tonight on uh, WCOG 1320 AM and 103.5 FM. You can catch that throughout Guilford County uh, on the Grimsley Sports Network. And then, of course, next week we'll have the finales Grimsley versus Northern Guilford on WCOG and East Forsyth, West Forsyth, uh, the big one. That might be the biggest game in the state uh, next week uh, in terms of playoff seating. Uh, like I said before, West Forsyth is at 9, East Forsyth is at 10, and the, the 4A West RPA standings that they use to figure out who's going to get seated. Is the top is the 12 conference champions get the first 12 season. After that, it's at large. So this is a huge game for the conference where you're talking about getting a single-digit seed if you win and if not you might be like the 16th seed and you're having to go to charlotte to play chambers or somebody like first round so this is a super huge important game uh we'll have it for you here on tobacco road sports radio mark we'll be back next week we'll get a little bit deeper into that matchup and uh some more um but we'll we'll see you next week all right thanks desmond and we're out of here that's another edition of franchise players for uh friday october the 20th 2023 back next week enjoy all the sports content we got for you going on across the board this entire weekend and go ahead and turn over to wcog at 7 30 and listen to uh uh the wcog game of the week grimsley taking on page we're out of here we will see you next week